0: Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Seeds of Triumph podcast. We are all about helping service members navigate through the difficult and challenging experiences that come with serving in the military. Here on Seeds of Triumph, we will discuss the good, the bad and the ugly, as well as provide several resources, techniques and coping mechanisms that can be used every day to instill overall toughness wellness, and resiliency into our military force. Thank you for joining us, and I hope you enjoy what we have to provide. Welcome to another episode of the Seeds of Triumph podcast. Today, we will be talking about the ugly stigma that comes with mental health care treatment with our guest speaker, active duty petty officer, first class, Ariana Lachusa? Lacusa, Lacusa. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Welcome to the podcast, Ariana. Thank you for joining us. So, before we get started, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself?
1: Uh, so, as you said, I'm a first class. I'm a CTI. Um, I'm a Spanish linguist, and I've been in coming up on 13 years now and haven't done a lot of super exciting things as most people would think uh, as far as the navy goes but I'm a single mom to two rambunctious little boys and have some hobbies that keep me busy on top of them and that's just me
0: all right well don't downplay your experiences as being a cti you know we we do work behind closed doors and not a lot of people know what we do but i think our job definitely brings with it some very unique stressors.
1: I agree. I agree.
0: Yes. So with that being said, before we get into the content, I just want to share like how you and I met each other because I think it's such a cool and crazy kind of situation. Um, so before I decided to start this podcast, um, One of the reasons was because I had been really active on like Facebook and Reddit and yeah, I, I think those are the pri- the two primary sources. But like there's a lot of Facebook groups. There's like a, a female enlisted sailors group, a first class mess group, just like several different groups. Like there's a CTI group, a CTR group. And I'm sure, you know, some of you that are listening to this that are in the Navy or just even in other services, you guys have your own unique um, Facebook groups that you get on. But Regardless, so like people come on there all the time and they post, whether it be anonymously or with their own accounts, just like these problems and issues that they have and I seen Ariana on there a lot, like within the past year. And like, I love the content that she posts, the things that she has to say. And I'm just like this girl, like she gets it. Like, I'm so glad that the Navy has her. And she just is really like a lot like me and the things that I say and how I um, see things and, and my passion for helping sailors. So I reached out to her because I was like, she would be a great person to come on this podcast because I know she has a lot to give. So, so yeah, um, I hit her up, and she had actually also talked to the D Guts podcast host. If you guys aren't familiar with that, shout out to uh, D Guts because he actually was foundational in helping me set up this podcast and building it from the ground up. So. Um, so, so he actually was was talking about getting us in touch too. So funny enough, um, we beat him. We to did it. it on our own, yeah.
1: <laughs> and here we are. Yeah, I think it took maybe like forty five seconds, and I was like, let's just get on the phone. And we talked for a good while instead of just you know Facebook messaging. And like you said, I we're very like minded, and it's it's nice to connect with someone so easily and quickly, especially from from afar, right? This is all virtual, but it doesn't matter. It's still we get to be involved with each other. and I think that's awesome.
0: Yep. Yep. It's all about building that network and support system. So here we are connected. Now we are a force of two to uh, to help the Navy and help help sailors. Um, that's the plan. Try <laughs> all right. So uh, as I mentioned, the topic today is going to be, you know, really just um, talking about the stigma that comes with Uh, mental health care in the military. So I just want to start it off by giving some facts. Um, So approximately 60% of military personnel who experience mental health problems do not seek help. And across several military studies, one of the most frequently reported barriers to seeking help is concerns about stigma. So what is stigma? Stigma is just like a belief, um, typically a false belief about, you know, consequences that can come as a result of an action. And so the most common stigmas associated with seeking mental health care treatment are, you know, confidentiality. Um, people may be worried that, you know, their business is going to get out there or... Back
1: to their command or their supervisor. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, um, and I've heard that personally, and I'm sure you have too. Yeah, yeah. The perception of the effectiveness of mental health care treatment. I mean, I myself, before I saw it, mental health care treatment, was a big skeptic of like, is this gonna help? And then is it when worth I finally, it? Yeah, when I finally sat in front of a psychologist, I was, I was already like, well, well, what, what what do you mean? Or how do you know? Or you're trying to trick me into thinking something else. Like I'm not going to fall into this. So I was, I was definitely a skeptic and I had to get over myself with that, but I'm glad I did. Right. Because it is 100% effective. You just find the right person, the right Right. therapist, the right technique. Um,
1: Yeah. I think a lot of the problem too is it, especially for people that join the military, a lot of us are kind of like alpha personalities um, and there's a stigma around if you need or if you seek mental health that you're weak. And most of us view ourselves as strong individuals whether that be physically or mentally, and so to admit that you don't have control or that you are struggling with your mental health means that you're you're not strong and that's something that a lot of people especially in the military don't they're not comfortable accepting that and so they just ignore it or pretend it doesn't exist or just don't seek help because then then that makes it real because right. someone else knows it's not just in your head
0: right yeah. and and like that's a stigma within itself right but because just just because you Want to work on your mental health doesn't mean that you're not strong because you I, are. It just means there's something going on that you need to work through. Like yeah. if you got, if you broke your ankle, that doesn't mean you're not strong. Um, <laughs> and if you go to the doctor to get it fixed, that doesn't mean you're not strong. Like that's the smart and um, necessary right decision, do. right? For you to yeah. get better so that you can walk and right. do your job. So if and, something's going on in your head and it's not right that the smart, best decision that you can make for yourself is to go get checked out
1: yep. and See the professional. work on it. Yeah. Yep. And uh, I tell so. people too, it is the strong thing to get help, to admit that you need help. It takes a lot of courage to say, you know what, I can't do this by myself and maybe I need some you know, professional intervention. That's a really big deal and it's not something that people easily come to, obviously, with those statistics. So it shows a lot of strength to say, yeah, I, I need help. In whatever way that is.
0: Yeah, 100%. So, and then the last, and I think most important, um, well, not last, but like one of the top, right? And most important um, stigmas is career impact. And I know that you have a lot to say about this one because you've experienced um, some things yourself that I know a lot of our listeners would be scared to go through. So, when I say career impact, like a lot of, a lot of, people think that if they seek mental health care treatment, it's going to have a direct impact on their career or their longevity in the service. And they might fear that their clearance is going to get taken away, that they might get separated, that their chain of command might retaliate against them, um, that they might let their unit down. And all of that is just not true. While there are situations that some of us have gone through where it may seem like that, that's not because of the system. It could just be because of, you know, I, I don't want to say poor leadership, but maybe just leadership that isn't familiar or does, is, doesn't does understand. So I, I think we're also as a military force and as a Navy working towards getting our um, leaders, right, more trained up on You know, mental health care and emotional intelligence, and just making sure that they know that it's okay for you to seek mental health, for them to seek mental health, and just support you through it and make sure that you know that you're not letting the unit down and that nobody's going to retaliate against you. Um, You know, mental health, physical health, that's all a part of mission readiness. And absolutely. You know, as a leader, I want you to be mentally stable and, and, you know, mentally healthy so that you can support the mission and be the best that you can be.
1: Absolutely. I think, and you know, you talked about career impact and and specifically clearance impact for those of us in the intelligence community. It it does happen, but it is extremely rare. It's, uh, I don't remember the exact statistics. I don't know if you have them, but uh, we, are our security manager actually gives them in our command in doc is they are very clear that you know, come tell us anything that might apply. One of them being mental health counseling or medication. And they say this only affects, you know, point whatever percent of people for it to be a permanent thing. It's usually not the case. And a lot of people think that any little thing can ruin your clearance. I had a sailor, very good kid, um, like, Nineteen years old or something called me the other day that they got into a car accident and they were too scared to call the cops because they thought that if they called the cops it wasn't even their fault that they got in the accident they were scared to call the cops because they thought it would affect their clearance and like that's that's the stigma is that anything can can ruin it and take it away and then what are you going to do you can't do your job and you're going to get kicked out of the navy and that's that's not at all the case um, a lot of times it's usually not like the seeking of counseling it's usually in the event that you're on a very small list of medications that can inhibit your self-control or make you, um, you know, affect you in a, in a bigger way, but I'm medicated. I'll be honest. I've been on and off all sorts of different mental health medication for most of the last 10 years on and off. Um, but that's generally not the case for most people and, I usually tell them not to be concerned about that because I would rather you be maybe unavailable than gone, right? Like I don't want anyone to not be here because they couldn't handle handle their mental health stress or whatever their issues are. And so worrying about how it's going to affect your job, that's that's not the main concern here. Like you need to take care of yourself. Like you said, you have to be mentally solid in order to, Contribute to the mission and be a part of the team that we can't, not that we can't use you, but it's, that's the most important part. I, I would rather someone get help than just suffer through just to be present. That's not, it's not the same. It's, it's not. And, you know,
0: I, I talked about this on a recent episode that I recorded, um, and it just—I'm going to keep bringing it up because I almost feel like I'm speaking directly to this person. Um, I met a sailor. I'm not sure if it was a male or a female um, on a Reddit thread, and they expressed a, a deep-rooted fear of being kicked out of the Navy and losing their orders and you know, not being able to serve because they're so excited to be in the Navy and they love being in the Navy and the problems that they're going through, um, you know, are a result of stuff that happened before the Navy. And, you know, they told me that they really need help because they think about harming themselves all the time and they're scared that if they don't get help soon, that something bad is going to happen. And so, If you're out there listening and you're this person, or you have thought similar things, like I'm talking to you when I say, please don't be scared. Like the stigma exists, the stigma is real. And the stigma is the very reason that you think that you're going to get in trouble or you're going to lose out on these things. Like I promise you, the Navy and the military wants to help you get through whatever trauma you're experiencing, whether it's before the Navy or because of the Navy, like they want to retain you. And if they don't retain you, they want you to get better. Like I I know it to be true.
1: Um, I a hundred percent agree.
0: So yeah, just don't, don't fall into the
1: stigma. Um, It's, it's not, it's not worth it. It's it's not, not worth it. And even if it were, which it's not, but even if it were real, the consequence to be that you're going to get out of the Navy or you would lose your clearance or you'd have some negative side effect, to me, it would be worth it to stay alive, to be, you know, to get the help that I need because I know, you know, what it's like for me, particularly like before and we can get more into like my experiences later, but like in a time in my life when I was unmedicated, untreated, un- didn't wasn't going through counseling, didn't have any help at all. It was every single minute of every single day was horrible. And I would rather go through the process and get the help that I need than continue to live like that all day, every day, regardless of what the consequence would be. If I had to, I could get another job. I could do something different because I'm going to be alive to do it I can get out of bed to do it because of the help that I got and that's that's the important part is even if even if it were true that this would happen it would be worth it because you would be okay the rest of it would get figured out exactly
0: and one thing that I say in my episode in the first episode of this podcast is like when I was down in the dumps at my lowest of lows and was just going through it, I was not thinking, you know, 10 days ahead or 30 days ahead. I was thinking like, this sucks and this is going to suck forever. And it's really hard, um, honestly, to think like, oh, this isn't going to last forever or I'm going to be okay. So like from people who have been there, like me and you and everyone else on this podcast, that that is brave enough to share their story, they got through it too.
1: Absolutely. They did. And they're better because of it. So, Absolutely. I, you know, as terrible as some of this stuff has been, I still wouldn't change it because it, it's made me into a stronger person. And more than that, it's made me an example and a resource that I can tell people, hey, this happened to me. And so if I can get through it, you can get through it. Or, you know, the the effects on the job. Hey, I had these effects, but look at this now like using that real life like hey, here this is a real example. It's not just some story or a statistic. Like this is me and who I am and I got through all of that and now I'm I'm doing really really well. You can absolutely do that. You just need to get help. Don't suffer in silence and let it go because it's you can absolutely get through it. Absolutely. So before you, you know,
0: embarked upon your um, specific situation that you're going to share with us all, did you personally have any um, mental health stigmas that you
1: kind of faced or, you know, were reluctant to seek help because of? Yes, actually. Um, I've been, I don't want to say struggling, but I, I've been affected by um, kind of low grade depression for a lot of my adult life. Um, but I I ended up having really bad postpartum depression after my second child. And I remember going to the doctor and uh, at the time I was at a joint base and the doctor that I saw was an Air Force doctor. And he said that I needed to be on medication. But if I did, I couldn't transfer. And I was just... Blown away because I I was also dealing with a lot of negative things at work. I'm like, if I can't leave, what's going to happen to me now? Um, And so I was so scared of, you know, the cost to benefit of of taking the medication that's going to help me get better or... Getting out of the situation that I'm in, or, um, you know, and again, with the clearance, how's it going to affect my job? Because now you're talking about medication and this is more serious and things like that. I, that was probably the biggest time where I was really scared to get help or to accept the help that was offered to me. But even before that, as early as I want to say my first probably two years in, I was looking into getting some counseling and. I wasn't really sure where to start. It wasn't advertised well about the resources that were available to us. And I remember calling, uh, like I said, I was a joint base and I remember calling the mental health. Like it wasn't a mental health doctor ish type place. It was more of just counseling. I can't remember what it was called. It was like a, the army readiness center or something like that. And they basically, it was kind of like fleet and family, um, but for the army. And so they just had counseling and I, I remember calling them and them saying something about, um, you know, deploying, are you deploying? Or is this because of a deployment? And I was like, I've been in the Navy for five minutes. Nothing, nothing's happening. And they were like, well, do you really need it? And I was like, I guess not. Like it got better later, but I, I felt, and especially then it, maybe they didn't even say it that way, but I felt like, well, I don't need this. I don't deserve this. Like there are people who really need it and I can't take it away from them. And, um, like just, I felt like I was, hurting the system by inserting myself into it because yeah, it's
0: like an internal conflict there.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I've always kind of been cautious about getting real help or the level of help that I needed because I was scared of what would happen to me and so, you know, maybe I'll go to counseling for a little bit and then that'll be fine and then, you know, but still be hesitant on the medication part of it or something. Like I didn't really really jump in for quite some time, um, because I was scared of what was going to happen to my career, honestly
0: yeah, so it's real. I mean, and i I share those same thoughts like and, and I'll share you know kind of what I did. Um, I was twenty twenty three years old, and I was at my second command in the Navy, and I was put into this environment that I wasn't really um used to. And I started getting, like, really strong, like, feelings of anger or sadness or just, like, something was off. And I was like, what is going on with me? And I didn't think to go through the military healthcare system first. Um, I had actually still been on my parents' insurance because I think it was either 24 or 26 years old was the cutoff. So I was on my parents' insurance still. And I know some of us don't have that luxury, but I did at the time. And if you do, it is an option. So I found a counselor um, within the area and she took my insurance and I only had to pay her $20 a session. And I worked with her for about 12 weeks and we just did some like uh, cognitive behavioral therapy type um, treatment. Um no medication, right? But she she helped me kind of work through some issues that I had, like even just growing up, um, the issue, the emotions that I was experiencing in this new environment. And so, like being able to talk to a professional and have her just kind of explain to me why this is going on, it was really helpful. And then she gave me some tools and techniques to take with me. Um, to navigate through life in the future, so it was great. Um, and yeah, I did fear, you know, opening that door to the military mental health care system because I was brand new at this um, deployable command, and I wasn't sure that, you know, my problems really mattered. Um, so because of that, I I still got the help. I just did it an alternative way. So right. there's an option. So if you guys do have that option out there. Think about exploring that because um, why not? Yeah, But absolutely. at the same time, I'm also not supporting being scared, right, of right, seeking right. mental health care in the military. If that's what you have to do, then do that because there is no reason to be scared. Like the, the, the reason I was not. scared was not valid.
1: Yep. Same. <laughs> yeah. Same for me either. It, and, and to wrap up or, or go back to that, that uh, it was an Air Force policy that people couldn't transfer within ninety days of being put on mm. um, basically any any kind of medication like that, uh, so that way they knew if, if something happened, or if you had a bad side effect or it made things worse, that they could care for you. Um, but I ended up bringing it to the Navy, and they were like, no, it's okay as long as you know you can get somewhere right away in your new duty station, and so they um, the doctor that I saw in the first command reached out to a doctor at the next command to say like, Hey, as soon as you get there and or as soon as she gets here, she's going to reach out to you. And they had it pre-scheduled before I even moved. So it was totally fine. Um, it, it did not affect me in, in regards to my transfer, but for them or for someone in the air force, it could have. Um, but if anything, it would have just been, um, just to reach that ninety-day mark. So if you see,
0: and I'm so glad that you sought that clarification and shared that because sometimes that's all it takes, right, to break down some of these stigmas. It's just ask, right, um, to seek that clarification, to to pull out the policy and the black and white and read it. Um, like when you were talking about security clearances, like those things, were all bound by the SecNav and DoD instructions, right, when right. it comes to maintaining our security clearance, and that goes for all services. Um, and, you know, Department of Defense civilians alike. So if you have any questions, Google those manuals, crack it out, look at what the disqualifiers are, and it'll tell you that seeking mental health treatment is not a disqualifier. Right. Absolutely. Sometimes, uh, yeah, sometimes word of mouth isn't always uh, the best for some people. Sometimes you got to see it in black and white. So I encourage you to go
1: and find it in the black and white. And every situation is different and every individual is different and there's always a waiver for something or, you know, it's not human beings are so different. Everyone is an individual and it's hard to say that this one thing applies to every single, how many hundreds of thousands of people are in the military. And so it's totally possible to have exceptions made or, not even just an exception, but something to be handled in regards to your own personal situation. There's not a catch all for mental health or any individual scenario. It's an individual scenario. Right. Right.
0: All right. Well, so let's get into your personal seat of triumph.
1: Yeah. So, so like I said, I've been kind of, I had dealt with, some kind of low grade depression um, in my early or late teens early 20s like years um but nothing nothing terrible nothing super crazy um it did get pretty bad like I said after my second child I had, pretty severe postpartum depression. I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't wash my hair. I like, it was really, really bad. Uh, That was especially rough because I didn't know who to tell. I didn't know who to talk to. I didn't know where to go. The, at the time, mental health resources were not advertised. And I I also didn't really recognize kind of my own problem, if that makes sense. We see it in like GMTs all the time of, hey, these are the signs to look out for in a friend but it doesn't really tell you what to look out for in yourself. And so I thought like, oh, this is just now that I have two kids under two, this is why it's hard. And I didn't realize that not everybody felt that way. And so fortunately, I, uh, there's a screening that happens with the, the pediatrician after you give birth. And so my son's doctor ended up giving me like a form of filling out, how I was doing. And, and they were the one that said, Hey, you need help. You really, really need help. otherwise I probably just would have kept going and thought, well, this is motherhood and welcome to the rest of my life. Um, And so I got help there, got much better within the first six to nine months um, after he was born. I was a okay again. Um, And then a few years later, which is now a few years ago, I had a really rough time for probably a solid two years. I had a lot going on in my personal life and in my professional life. I had dealt with um, some conflicts at work with leadership and um, all the things that came with that. I was in a very unhealthy marriage at the time and... I had, like I said, I had two kids. They were really small and there wasn't a single good thing in my life. Um, Everything was really, really hard. And I couldn't even focus or figure out which way to focus on, hey, maybe I could do these things to address this part of my life, or maybe I could do this. Um, And I was just so overwhelmed and it kind of came to a – like a boiling point, if you will, that I was, uh, and this was prime COVID time. So getting access to mental health care was very, very difficult. There was, I don't think there was any doctors available in my local hospital, or if there was, there was maybe one, but they were super booked out. Everyone else had deployed to go help with the, with COVID and which is great, but there was nothing available for me. So then I got a referral to go out in town, which took a long time, but I ended up getting out there and saw a civilian provider, completely no experience with the military whatsoever. And she was extremely useful. I saw a trauma counselor and I saw a civilian psychiatrist um, for medication. And I, I got the help that I needed, but I was, I was dealing with some stuff, and I like you said, with your kind of strong emotions and stuff, I had a lot of um, like outbursts and things like that. I specifically remember one time, and I don't know if this ended up having an effect or maybe it was just in my head, but um, I got into, I wouldn't even say a screaming match. I was screaming at a chief in my building in the middle of the hallway in front of people um, over, I can't even tell you what now. But I, I was just crying and screaming. Like I couldn't process my own emotions and it came out against this person that did not deserve it. Um, so that was kind of a big thing that they, meaning my leadership, was like, hey, what is going on? Um, and then based on my doctor's recommendation to remove me from what I determined to be a hostile work environment, based on some other people that I was working with. Um, And then on top of that, a specific type of medication that I was on, it caused them to um, remove my local access. So I didn't lose my clearance, but I wasn't allowed to go into my job because And mostly because of the medication, because that doctor, like I said, she wasn't involved with the military at all. Military doctors would know not to prescribe you that. They would have tried like two, three, four other things first, because there's plenty of medications in that category that don't have this effect. Um, But this particular doctor didn't know that, put me on this medication that can cause some severe side effects. and, um, And so- All of this kind of culminated and I lost my access. Couldn't go back to work for just a little over three months. Um, And at that time, I got moved out of my work center, obviously. Um, I separated from that very unhealthy relationship that I was in. Um, My personal life started to get better. My kids somehow started to get easier. Um, Can I can
0: I ask you, um, when you found out about you having to get your accesses removed and just not not being able to go in the building, did you feel like a sense of relief because of that? Oh, or was that like a scary thing for you?
1: I was not scared. I was so relieved. Um, the things that I had been dealing with were, like I said, largely based on the personnel within that building or at least a select few of them um, that were in my direct work center and and leadership and so there was a time that I when I would go to work I just had this overwhelming sense of dread driving into the parking lot I hadn't even made it in the door yet and I could have you know gone into tears like I was absolutely miserable to just exist there um so much so that I volunteered to go on a long-term TDY and leave my very young children home alone, not alone, obviously they were with their father, but, um, you know, leave them behind. And most people, especially mothers are reluctant to leave their kids. My youngest son was not even two yet. Maybe he had just turned two. I mean, he was still little, wasn't even really talking yet. Like, and I missed out on a lot because I, and I chose to leave. Part of that was me wanted to leave, their father and get away from him. Um, but also mostly just cause I, I couldn't stand to go to my job anymore and anything that would get me away from there, sign me up. Um, and so when it came time for them to say, Hey, you can't go back to work. I thought, thank God. I, it was a huge, huge weight off of my chest to not have to interact with those people anymore, which is not necessarily the best thing or the right way to go about it obviously um but it was it was a very big relief and i at that point i had i think 7 months left in the navy total at that point um and because of all the like leadership issues that i had been dealing with i gave up my seaway quota i had intended to separate and so when they said okay you're out of the building. I was like, great! I don't have to deal with these people. I can focus on my disability claim and write a resume. Yeah, I check mean, I it still out. getting out of the military. Yeah, right. And I still had a job. I had to go work in a different space. It just wasn't in the building with my command that I was at. Mm-hmm. It was somewhere different. Mm-hmm. So I, it it wasn't like I was just sitting at home the entire time. I was I was working. I was just employed differently. Um, but yeah, I was I was very relieved and. Fortunately, I ended up having everything changed. Like, it it was kind of magical how so much of my life turned around at once. And I was getting help. I um, was going to – and so I was seeing this civilian doctor. And once it came to the Navy medicine's attention that I had been put on this medication and been doing, you know, got these other things – they said, okay, we're taking you back. You, your case is so severe that we need to oversee it um, because it can affect your duty status. Um, And so they took me out of the civilian provider, brought me back under Navy mental health, um, evaluated me, got me on their schedule. I started seeing them. Um, I was referred to uh, IOP, an intensive outpatient psychiatric program. And so I went to, a, uh, it was essentially group therapy, but there were some individual aspects as well. Um, Three hours a day, three times a week for 12 weeks. It was, it was very intense.
0: So that, it it doesn't, I don't want to say it sends like alarms off, but initially when you said that, you know, you were seeking mental health care and all of this was going on with you. Um, And you don't have to get into the details of what your symptoms were. But then when you say intensive outpatient treatment, if somebody recommended that for me, I would be kind of scared. Like, what does this mean for my career? Like, like, you know, am, am I crazy? Or, you know, just these, these, these thoughts kind of go in my head. And so for the listeners who may be thinking the same thing, like, how what how did you feel when they brought that up? Was it
1: completely reasonable for
0: what you were going through? Or
1: uh it was definitely reasonable. So Let me back up in the timeline. So I had been brought back to Navy medicine and they were the ones that put in that referral. They also immediately put me on LIMDU for mental health. So there was already a, um, a flag or a concern for my career because there, there are certain mental health, I don't want to say things, but you can be found not fit for service based on mental health. Usually it has to be pretty severe and also with your consent. Um, that whole process, it it is a process for to be med boarded for mental health. I know a few people who have been through it. Same, um, yeah. When the time comes, there's a portion where you have to fill out whether you desire to remain on in service or not. And that plays a big part in it. And if you were referred for mental health and for to referred to a med board and you said, no, I wanna stay. I think I can fix it, they're gonna take that into account. And also look at what you're doing to to fix it. Like are you seeking help? Are you going through the process? Or are you just gonna tough it, tough it out? Because that you know, that won't work. So you have to show <laughs> yeah. what you're doing to contribute to that. Um so like I said, for me, I was already limb due for mental health and I had still made up my mind that I was getting out of the Navy anyway. So I wasn't really concerned about how it would affect my career at that point because I was so ready to just get away anyway. Um, I was hesitant to, to take the referral to the program because it seemed a little excessive. Like I knew I had issues, but I'm not crazy. I don't need to be with crazy people, right? Like that's how I felt at first. And also that it was group therapy and I thought, well, all the things that have in my entire life that have led me to this point are so specific. And what's the point of me going and sitting around a room and telling all these people like this is not going to work for me. I was very against the group therapy thing. Um, and I had and been, that
0: kind of plays into one of the stigmas that we talked about before, right? Was the perception of the effectiveness of care.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, but I ended up going and I really, really enjoyed it. I thought I was going to hate the group therapy thing, but it It was really nice because even though, you know, there was a decent group of people, there's between, I want to say, eight to 14 people throughout the different, because everyone does 12 weeks. And so there's like a program and like a curriculum that you go through. And so if you started on week five, for example, then you would graduate on and on and on after week four, once it comes around again. So there's no like everyone starts on day one. You just jump in through the cycle that keeps repeating through these twelve weeks. Um, so people would come and go often, as they graduated or or not. Some people had to stay and go through it again. Uh, that was they didn't have to. That was voluntary. Ninety five percent of these people were civilians. There was a handful that I saw that were military, uh, but it was run through a civilian hospital locally. Um, but I, whether they had any story that was even remotely related to mine, didn't matter because their symptoms were related to mine or their experiences or what they were feeling on the day to day was very similar to what I was going through, regardless of what had brought them there. Um, and so it was really nice to hear that I'm not the only one that feels this way and it is, I don't want to say fixable, but manageable. It's manageable. These, you know, because you, you watch the people who progress and then graduate and they have learned these techniques and they're able to go through the day-to-day and not just be drowning in in depression or, or anxiety or whatever the case is. They can live their life on their own without needing, you know, these three hours, three times a week, because that's a lot of time. And I am so glad. I'm so glad that you That you shared that, right? Um,
0: And I'm also glad that like you said that it helped, right? Because you were reluctant. Like, I don't want to sit in a group full of strangers and talk about my problems, but it can be so helpful to know that you're not alone. Like you said, other people are going through these same symptoms. They're thriving. They're working through it with me. They're going to come out of this better. Maybe they already are doing better. And so, and that's and kind of like, I just, I want to bring it back to the purpose of this platform and this podcast, right? Like, it's essentially the same thing that we're doing here, right? Sharing our stories and coming together as a group to let everybody know that you're not alone. Yes. You can get through this. These, these low points are temporary, and we're all going to be better,
1: including yourself on the other side of it. And I think it's so important to, to share that. And not in a way – I don't want to discredit what anyone is going through and say like, oh, well, everyone feels that way because that's not the case. It's, that's not it at all. But it's – and I know some people kind of get that impression sometimes when we try to relate that they've just feel like they're on such an island and they're like, you would never understand regardless, even if you tell them, you know, everything that you've been through, it almost feels like, at least for me, when when other people would try to talk to me before of like, oh, well I did it and blah, blah. blah. And I would just think, well, y- yours wasn't nearly as bad. You don't understand. This is, mm-hmm. this is in- insanely difficult. You don't get it. Um, and I had to – but that was just me being stubborn and not – at the time, not ready to get help and, and really get better. I was – um, I kind of – I used my mental health struggles as a coping mechanism in their own right, if that makes sense, because I had so many other things going on in my life that were bad. Um particularly like my marriage that was really really bad but i put all of my energy and all of my focus onto all these you know work problems that i had and then my mental health due to that that i could just focus and and kind of say well this isn't my fault this is because of all this stuff that i'm going through meanwhile it was i was i was choosing not to get out of that situation at home and i used the other tough things that I was dealing with. I focused my energy on that so that I didn't have to accept responsibility for the other parts of my life that were going wrong because I did have a responsibility in that. And I kind of I let it take over if that makes sense because I don't I can't accept responsibility for that home situation. I can't allow myself to recognize that that's on me to to not leave, which Is a whole, it took a really long time to go and a lot of therapy. And and it's
0: okay to not be able to deal with all of these things stacked up against you at one time, you really do kind of have to deal with it in steps. And I think that's what you did, right? You dealt with you and your mental health first, and that was kind of the key piece to allow you to be able to work through everything else that was going on.
1: Yep. It it helped me to tackle these other things, you know, a little bit, one at a time, some all at the same time, but it was the strengthening my myself and my mental fortitude and my my mindset that was that helped me to kind of build on that and make these changes in other areas of my life that then brought about better circumstances and it all kind of fed on each other in you know some of it kind of slow but a lot of it pretty quick because it was and it took a a really long time to get there Um, but once I did and I was able to kind of Flip that switch in my brain. And it wasn't a, it wasn't flipping a switch. I mean, it took a lot of work to mold my, my brain to work this way and my mind to think this way. But once I did, it was almost like there was no going back. Like this is me now. And like, I'm, I am so solid up here. Don't get me wrong. I have my days still. Absolutely. Like I said, I'm medicated. I still am getting help all the time. Like that's not something I'm probably ever going to stop doing, but I am a way different person now in my own mind because of the help that I've gotten along the way. That's awesome. Um, when you, when you were going through,
0: you know, that, that time in your life where you were dealing with people at work being toxic or just your working environment being toxic, um, how did you handle that, uh, before you got help? Like, is there any techniques or did you have any coping mechanisms that you use to kind of get through your day-to-day, even though it was really hard?
1: Um honestly, no. Uh, I didn't really develop those until later. I thought I had a coping mechanism of um, you know, trying to talk through it with some people, some friends. Um, Instead of, like, eventually I got to, like, a therapist where I could talk it through. And so I thought that I was kind of doing that myself with people that I knew. Um, but I wasn't. I was not. If anything, I was just bringing them down. It wasn't helpful. It was It was more poison is what it was, honestly. Um, one thing that has helped me on and off that I, I took on more after, after I started getting, like, real – um professional help was using different art forms for therapy like um we did a lot of like drawing painting things like that in there but i've always kind of been like a journaler um and i like to write things down i i get really caught up in my head a lot and so i would if i could write it down and get it out of myself it wouldn't weigh on me so much and so I used you know talking to other people as another way to get it out and then when I realized that I was just also poisoning their minds and their attitudes and they didn't want to listen to me be so negative um that I and I was telling someone else this recently same thing in like a voice memo like just opening up that app on my phone and just just saying it out loud to get it off of my brain and kind of out there so it's not weighing on me it's much faster than writing i still do like to write and journal a lot um Getting my thoughts out in a really direct manner helps me process them, at least for me. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's my preferred method of just talking through by myself, either Mm -hmm. through writing it down or um, like talking out loud into a recording or something like that. But I also paint a lot and do some other like artistic type stuff too. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. My, um, my first therapist, actually, um, you just reminded me. So with the therapy that I got from her, she gave me a mindfulness journal and she taught me what mindfulness was. And I used to write in this journal um, whenever I was feeling one of those really strong emotions. And it did. It helped me process and just get it out. And I was able to take that back to my sessions with her and just kind of say, hey, yeah, this is what I was feeling at this time and we worked through it. So, yeah, that's that's definitely a coping mechanism that you can use right now before you see a
1: therapist. Um, right. Or while you're waiting or something. Or while you're waiting, yeah. Yeah. It's and it's it's basically free to do. You just grab a, a notebook and a pen and just go to town. It doesn't take a lot of resources at all because I know you like you were doing bodybuilding eventually I also got into like working out that was a really really big thing for me later on um but that's not as easy or quick to do and I find that sometimes it's like what can I do right now because I'm just I'm in it today like what should I do and that's usually what I give people as like a like a primary or at least first step, like this is what you can do today, right now, just to, like get it off your mind because you're waiting on an appointment or you, you're you not comfortable talking to me and you just want to get it out. Just write it down, whatever. Just, yeah. just put it out and, there and burn and it, if you throw guys, it away or not.
0: If you want something cute or more guided, you can totally get on Amazon and Google or search like a mindfulness journal and yes. I'm telling you it'll work. Yeah.
1: I was going to pull – I have normally in my – office is a disaster because I'm getting ready to move but normally I have at least three or four different types of like notebooks and journals here under right under my desk um that I go through like randomly I have one um I don't want to swear on here but it's called zen as f um, mm-hmm. and I got it on Amazon and uh, I also have like a this is like a coloring this one I did leave out because I plan on bringing with me in the car because it's so useful but it's um Choose Joy, a coloring book of gratitude and wonder. It's a grown-up coloring book. Um, I used to have one that had a bunch of swear words in it, too, because it made me feel better. Um, but just something like that of, like, distracting your brain, too, is, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I'm not artistic. I can't paint. It's like, well, you don't have to. You just need to color in this page. And it's not yes, like my I kid's Paw Patrol book. but it's adult it coloring
0: books, too, and yep. they definitely help me. After a long day of work, relieve stress, and I feel so much more calm and better after it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So even coloring books, yeah, that that's great. Absolutely. Love it. Yeah. Well, any? Do you have any other? Um, you have any advice for anyone? Actually, before I ask you that, um, let's talk about. Like, let's talk about where you are now, right? Because that's in a completely different spot than you preparing to get out of the military, um, going through your outpatient treatment, like let's
1: let's talk, th- let's talk about your triumph because right. your triumph is amazing. Right. So, um, yeah, so I went through that process of the IOP and then getting uh, got reevaluated to go back to work. I was cleared. I was removed from limb I was taken off of the medication that I was on. I was no longer on any medication whatsoever. Um, and went back to work and I, I talked about this a bit in the, um, the don't give up the ship interview that I did, but I, when I went back to work, I was still kind of seen, even though I was in a better place, I was seen by, the leadership as just this like problem child. And so I, I didn't go back to the division that I was from. I went to go work like in the holding division because I was supposed to be getting out of the Navy a few months later. And so- Did you say
0: you were seen as this problem child? Like were they treating you differently or acting negatively towards you? Yes. Um,
1: I I dealt with a little bit of- retaliation from a complaint that I had put in months prior um, about that, like hostile work environment and some other issues that were going on with some individuals. Um, And so I I had put in this complaint uh, actually two for two different things and they ended up being unsubstantiated, but they were against some chiefs in the command. And so it was, I, I was seen as someone who I get and this is this is my perception based on what happened, um, that I was someone who just didn't support the Chiefs mess, didn't support leadership, didn't support the command. Um, and I'll be honest, I had a whole lot of FU attitude going on for a lot of them at that time, all day every day. I would tell them how much I thought they sucked, which not all of them did, but I let
0: do you think that um, the retaliation was because you sought mental health treatment?
1: No, no. So okay. this, the retaliation was for the complaint that I had lodged against okay. these individuals, um, which that retaliation was kind of what led to me seeking mental health because this had happened like the months preceding me really going to get help in my like okay. breaking point that okay. happened um, because I had put in these complaints. And then there was, um, which also, whether it was from the complaints or not, there was just some really severe personality conflict between me and my leadership, um, and which a lot was on me and my attitude and the way that I, like I said, I had the fu attitude all the mm-hmm. time. I was not, I was not fun mm-hmm. to work with, I and was it, not, and that was a result of a culmination of things that were going yes, on. Yes, yeah. um, and I had been, you know, denied collateral duties. I had been. I had officer packages shut down. I had um, like all these negative things coming and it was just like, I cannot get, not that I can't get ahead. I can't even get today. Like I, I can't do anything right. I was just constantly dealing with this, just whether it was active or not, I felt like I was just getting dumped on all the time from every mm-hmm. angle and it was Awful. So like I said, I was really relieved when I did end up getting removed because I just, I couldn't stand to be there anymore because it was, even though I, I know it wasn't necessarily the case now, but looking back, like it felt like everyone was out to get me. And I know that wasn't the case. Everyone has their own problems too. I don't think it was as vicious and malicious as I pictured it to be at the time, but there was a lot of real side effects or or a lot of real negative actions being taken that that's how I viewed it um and it really really messed me up so like I said, yeah, so I ended up getting them getting help, getting better, going back into the building but working for a completely different division because the people that I used to work for didn't want me anymore because I had been such a problem for them because i I was angry I had an attitude I wouldn't I mean I did work but i I was not easy to work with at all. Um, which like I said, I know a lot of that is on me, but it was not that it's an excuse, but it was a response to my environment. Um, and just like a, you know, you back up a bear in a corner, like they're going to lash out. So, um, but yeah, they didn't want me anymore. And I felt like even still, there was a lot of people who just, especially people in leadership positions and most khaki's just wouldn't even engage with me like wouldn't say good morning passing in the hallway like it's like they thought that I was contagious with my just terrible attitude or I'm mm-hmm. not sure what it was like I said probably in my head but it, there was a lot of real uh, nobody wanted to interact with me and you know
0: you know um it kind of I
1: want to just say like
0: for any anybody that's a leader out there that might be listening like give give people grace right instead of just shunning them out or saying that this person is difficult or they have a bad attitude give them grace and like try to figure out why because being kind and supportive can go so far so it's like i've I've been in a situation where somebody may have had, you know, a nasty attitude towards me. And instead of giving it back, I was like, hey, what's going on? You know, are you okay? Like, is everything okay at home? Like, do you need anything?
1: Like, whatever's
0: going on here at work, all that aside, like, are you doing okay?
1: So that that goes a long way. It really does. And I think it's so important. I do think it's better now, but I know kind of back in the day that wasn't always the case and that i I don't know if maybe they and i'm talking even further back than than this time period but if it was seen as I, i know a lot of people say like oh you're supposed to leave it at the door like if you have home problems leave it at the door like don't let it come in here with you um but that's not realistic um and i i think a lot of people like to think that you can just compartmentalize and and you know, you're, you work at work and you do your home life at home or whatever. Um, but I, I dealt with something years and years ago. I was 21, was going through a divorce. And at the time I was E5, I think, um, maybe an E4. I think I was, a, I, I think I was an E4. Um, but I was, like super hard worker, really loved my job, got a lot of stuff done, uh, really, really productive. And maybe, I don't know if it was necessarily suddenly, but somewhat suddenly my productivity started to go down. I started to, you know, be late to work sometimes and then be late to work all the time. And then um, I ended up going to DRB for, you know, all of those small issues of not being where I was supposed to be, not working as hard as I was supposed to, not doing what was expected of me. And it wasn't until I got into the DRB. And so I don't know if you've ever been to a DRB. Um, I haven't, but, no. And yeah. for those that are listening who don't know what a DRB
0: is, it's a disciplinary review board. So ah. essentially, you know, you're know, you standing in front of the man, quote unquote, um, well, it's a bunch of your leadership.
1: Yeah. So the man um, a lot of people picture as like NJP. This is um the chiefs that run the disciplinary review board mm-hmm. before you go up to the man, the big um the captain, right? He's, so yeah. but the way that it works is very similar to a set of the quarter or sailor of the year board where you knock on the door, they tell you to enter, and you say, you know, petty officer so-and-so or seaman so-and-so reporting for disciplinary review board as directed. And you call attention to the Sailor's Creed, just like you do in a quarter or a year board. And I started bawling halfway through the Sailor's Creed. And I was just thinking, and they were like, what is wrong with you? And I was just thinking, I don't deserve to say these words. I am such a piece of crap. And I'm here because I'm in trouble, right? And like I said, I was, I was a kid. I was 21. Maybe not even 21 yet. Um, But I was... I was really young and I just felt like I had let them all down. And we hadn't even started yet. Normally there's a lot of yelling involved. Um, I was at another one before that. Unrelated, which is not important. Um, (laughs) But I had experienced the yelling part. And so I knew it was coming, but we hadn't even gotten to that point. And it wasn't until then that they, someone, anyone finally said, what is going on? why are you here? Like things haven't been been going well. Like what is the issue? What's making you have, you know, what's making you show up late to work? What's, why are you having trouble waking up in the morning? Why are you not working as hard? And it wasn't until then that someone even asked once and we'd had weeks of problems. Obviously you don't go to DRB for nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was getting divorced I had to get a second job because I was so young. I had never paid my own bills before and I didn't I didn't know how to do it. So I had to move out on my own and get a different place and pay, you know, first last month's rent, deposit, all that stuff. And I'd never lived alone. I went from living in the barracks to living with my first husband and then trying to figure it all out. And they knew I had a second job. I requested it and everything. Um, but they never asked like why I wanted one. And so I had a second job at a bar. So I was working late. I was So then I was struggling to wake up in the morning. Um, and so like all these things were because I was dealing with stuff in my personal life. And no one had asked until then. And looking back now, it should never even get there. That conversation should happen day one. Like, hey, you're a few minutes late and normally on time. What's up? Not like, hey, here's this counseling chip for being four minutes late. Yeah. It should be, hey, what's going on? Are you okay? And sometimes it's like, oh, I just, you know, overslept a little or my kids were rowdy and it took a little longer to do the drop-off this morning. Um, But sometimes you can tell when it's like, oh, yeah, I'm fine. Like you can tell. And if you can't, you should be engaging more with your people to know what their norm is. It's called intrusive
0: leadership. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, may be uncomfortable for some, but it's really important um, because, yeah, I wish that it hadn't resulted in you going to DRB to find out what was actually going on. Because, you know, my sailors, if I see, you know, them trending in a different direction, I always, you know, even before they start trending into a different direction, I'm like, "Hey, how's your weekend? How are you doing? You know, how's how's your mom? How's your dad? You know, how's your wife? How are your kids?" So just yep. just be more like that if you can.
1: Yeah, and uh, if like you know what kind. norm is, you can see what abnormal is. But you have exactly. to you have to know them and you have to be involved to see that. Yes, a yep. little bit of kindness goes a long way. Yeah, absolutely. Um. Sorry, that was, like I said, that was years years before this whole situation. Um, but yeah, so I finally got back to work, got in under a different division, and had phenomenal leadership there. Both my department chief and department head were just incredible human beings. And they thought I was getting out of the Navy because that's what I thought. And so they were like, what can we do to help you do that? Do you need help writing a resume? Do you, you know, what do you need to do? And they would get me in touch with people. And then I realized, maybe I don't want to leave because... I only wanted to get away from this this terrible organization or so I had seen it. It's really not that terrible. Look at these good people I have here. I kind of want to stay because I think it could be really good. And I think I want to be like these people. Uh, it wasn't easy because I had already given up my Seaway quota. But that department chief, who was a senior chief at the time, called my ECM, got them on the phone. They called um, They called me over Thanksgiving break and said, like, hey, I heard you want to stay. And I was like, yes, please, please, please. And so I ended up, they gave me my quota back. They gave me orders. um, And, you know, everything turned around. I was given just an opportunity to show what I was capable of. And then that grew more, you know, that that senior chief, he's a master chief now, he'd be like, hey, do this for me. And I would do it and I would do it well. And he'd be like, okay, how about this? And how about this? And next thing you know, now I'm the LPO of this department Um, and doing that for, a year and then he uh, needed to go fill a need elsewhere in the command. And so then they entrusted me to be the acting department chief of this department. And I I've been doing that now for over a year and things have so drastically changed from where I was three years ago to now that it's, it feels unreal. Most of the time that this is like stuff that you see in movies, if they were to have, you know, Hallmark movies about the Navy. This is what it would be like. Um, But it is – I love my job. And that comes down to having good leadership. And now I get to be that for other people. And I get to share my story and share my experiences and do things that weren't done from my leadership before and then the things that were when I got to the good ones. And that I have the power to influence them and their decisions and their careers by just being like a good person. Mm-hmm. And it has gone so far. And I'm so, so happy that I ended up staying and and had the opportunities that I did and had the experiences that I did. Because right now, if I hadn't if I hadn't run into that senior chief and that department head, I would probably be living with my mom, with my two kids, working at Steak and Shake again, because that's all I had going on before. And that is not the kind, that's not what I'm supposed to do with my life. I can tell you that. I'm, yeah. I am meant to do this and I love it. Yeah. No,
0: I, that is so awesome. And like I share a similar experience in that, you know, after I went through what I went through and the lack of support, you know, I was just, I was, I was ready to get out too. Um, I was going to transfer. I was going to finish out my enlistment um, here in Hawaii. I think I had three years left at the time. I was going to coast it, man. Yep. Yeah. But I was met with one, a therapist. That was one of the biggest turning points. The therapist had asked me, you know, what is your purpose? And I don't know if anybody ever asked me that or if I ever put much thought into that. But like, what, what is my purpose in life, in the Navy, like in life? Okay. So I, I, I chewed on that for a little bit and I really put some thought into it. Like, what is my purpose? And then checking into this new command, I was also met with phenomenal leadership. Um, it was my department chief at the time he's retired now but and and i said this in another podcast and it's so true i'll never forget just his simple thank you to me for completing a task like it went so far and i said this in my like reenlistment speech right my reenlistment <laughs> my reenlistment was all chiefs and master chiefs and a senior chief like And those were the people who had poured all their support into me. And I say reenlistment, and it's like, what? You just said that you wanted to get out. Yeah. But like there was a turning point because I finally felt supported by that chief that said, thank you. And then another chief and another chief and another chief. And that just goes to show how important leadership is. And then I found my purpose, which was to be in that position of leadership and to influence others to do the right thing and then to be there to shield all of the people that will come after us, all of the sailors that are junior to us, to shield them from the bad leadership. Right. So I said, yeah, this is my purpose, to help people because I can share my story and you know give them the roadmap of how I got here. And maybe it will help some,
1: but. Or maybe you keep doing good things. Maybe they won't ever need it, right? That would be ideal is, you know, if, if they are struggling, that they can see that, you know, you've gone through it and you've excelled and you've turned it around. But hopefully by the other things that you're doing in the day to day, you're treating people well. And that just breeds a culture, ideally, right, that everyone else is doing that, that Yes, we're never going to get rid of mental health struggles in the military ever, but maybe we're not going to have people seeking out help due to hostile work environment, toxic leadership. It'll just be, you know, the other stuff, the home stuff, the the regular, you know, and I'm not trying to downplay it at all, but like that's one big part of your life. It's like 30% of your day is spent at work. And if your work is good – well, now you can really focus on the other things if they're not and, so good. And like it maybe
0: more for some people, right? Like people that have to deploy on ships or, you know, when I was out, you know, in the desert, right? I was I was at work for like 14, 16 hours a day. So like the majority of our time while we're in the Navy is spent with our coworkers, with our leadership. And if you're a leader with your sailors, so like The best thing that you can do to tackle this mental health crisis, what you can do personally is just be kind, be kind, be understanding,
1: be an advocate for for everyone else to be treating people with dignity and respect. You Mm -hmm. know, it's not just about one person being nice. It's about standing up to the other people that don't and showing Mm -hmm. everyone Mm -hmm. that this is how we do it here. We treat mm-hmm. everyone with dignity and respect at all times, regardless of rank or background or anything. They are human beings and they are treated well. And let that yep. be your kind of your North Star, right? Like That's your main focus that then all these other things just come so easy when when that's the basis, like that's the foundation. It makes a huge difference. And I 100% know
0: that that's not just me saying it. That's not just you saying it. Like our big Navy leadership, that's what they want too. Like our, one of the MCPON's, you know, guiding principles is quality of life. Um, I was just reading an article from the CNO, right? Admiral Gilday. He was talking about um, the suicide rates and he was talking, he was promoting it like we care about our sailors and if our sailors aren't right then the mission doesn't get done so like taking these things right from our our chief of naval operations that are the the senior enlisted of the navy like they want a healthy force and that means as a leader doing what you can do to foster that and it starts with you right being kind and and seeking help yep Feeling comfortable to ask for help and to yes, ask for resources. Yes.
1: Fostering that environment where people are of trust, where people are comfortable coming to you to say, Hey, I have this issue. And then you can provide those resources. Or, you know, we're just talking to you in general, just to talk. If they just want to talk to you, they don't necessarily need professional help, but they do need someone to talk to to mm-hmm. be that trusted person that people are willing to come to. That makes a huge difference. It because does. if you can start that, early then maybe your your stress and and all these other things won't get so bad to where you do need the professional help because you have that trusted person to kind of work through these issues with on a really small scale they won't get out of control ideally that's that would be great And I have hope.
0: I have hope that we're
1: gonna get there, especially with people like you and I sticking around. We're gonna get there, absolutely. And I and I see it too. Like I said, back in the day, I was adamant that every khaki was a horrible human being, and I had, like I said, a big "f you" attitude to all of them. But most of them, they care. They really Mm -hmm. do. And whether they show it the right way or in the way that works for me or others, like most of them are just not evil people going around to be evil. They just don't know better and they haven't seen Mm -hmm. it or experienced it or, you know, I've seen so many good things come from my leadership in the past couple of years that it makes me very happy to be a part of the organization and, Mm -hmm. and strive to be in those positions for a bigger influence and, Mm-hmm. I, I see the good one. Yeah, there's not some, there's some not so good ones. That's for sure. But that's, and
0: that's going to be anywhere, really right in in any
1: organization at yeah. any
0: level. Yeah. 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 We have to, we have to get rid of those like toxic labels on both ends, right? Like we're never going to get towards this, removing these barriers or these stigmas if we continue to promote, you know, those toxic labels. Like yeah. instead we're going to promote and encourage people to be trusting of their leadership. And we're going to promote leadership to, to be kind and understanding. Yeah. And maybe even be vulnerable, um, to earn that trust. Like you said. So like, yeah, I, I just, I also want to remove those toxic labels because it's not helping anybody. No,
1: absolutely not. I agree.
0: So then, um, What advice would you give to any of our listeners who may have – may relate to your story and going through something similar, whether that's, you know, being a new mom or suffering from postpartum depression or going through a divorce or dealing with um, a hostile working environment or, you know, losing – losing their building access. Um, Yeah. So what advice would you give if it's one thing or several things to any of our listeners to to overcome that?
1: I would say my, my biggest piece of advice, and this is kind of broad, is just don't be scared. Don't be scared to get help. Don't be scared to admit that you are struggling. Don't be scared to say out loud that something is not okay or it's not right. Doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you, but it's okay to identify that something is not right. So just don't be scared would be my, my biggest piece of advice. And then with that, seek out help, ideally professional help. I think it is so useful. Uh, Borderline. I wish therapy was like mandatory, but if it was, then it wouldn't be as, as useful. Right. Um, but seek out professional help even if then they can tell you that hey i think you're okay and you can manage this by yourself then that's okay but otherwise they'll tell you hey i think you could use here's these techniques about you know mindfulness and you know cognitive behavioral therapy is is so useful and how to make your brain work in a way that's going to help you on the day to day by yourself here's your your little toolbox that you can reference to to get you through. Um, And then if it is more severe than that, then they'll direct you to more appropriate resources if necessary. Um, But to just don't be afraid. I I know that sounds, and it's not just about being afraid. It's show, show that courage, show that strength. You are not weak. You are strong. And it's okay to say, I need help whether that's to an individual, your leadership, your friend, um, but just admit that it's okay and and you can get help from somewhere. Um, That would be my my biggest piece of advice to someone who's listening and relating. Um, And then I would say also advice to everyone, regardless of if you're in a leadership position or not, know what the resources are. Because you never know when someone is going to ask you for one and you don't want to make them wait or make them feel like that's not a priority for you. But just have that stuff on hand of, you know, even if it's like on the notes app in your phone or something that if some, I got a call today from a sailor that is not mine and said hey uh, I know you've kind of talked about like mental health stuff before because I have I'm very open about it with the sailors and um, that like this person I had spoken to before they're just not my sailor but called me and was like hey I know you've talked about like mental health like what should I do like where should I start I don't know I don't know what to do and so I was like we're on the phone and I'm like texting links and like doing other things while we're still on the phone and it's like I, I don't have every resource I'm sure, but I have a bunch for you to choose from that are different in what they offer and what they can do. And, um, it's, it's a hard position to be in, to be like caught off guard by something like that. So it's nice to have, you know, as a leader or as a person, if, if your friend calls, even if you're just semen Timmy and you think no one's ever going to call you for anything, you have friends, you have people, someone might call you or talk to you in the hallway or ask you like. I'm having a really hard time and I don't know what to do. Just at least have one, something in your brain to be like, oh, maybe this thing, you know, be, be ready for that because it can happen at any point when you're not prepared for it.
0: Yep. And so it's going to be super easy to do that because in the episode description and the podcast description, I have a link to a document that provides several Mental health resources that you can just copy paste, put it in your notepad, email it out, print it out, put it up at your commands. So yeah, take advantage of that, please, everyone.
1: That's fantastic.
0: Yeah. So, uh, thank you for sharing your story. Um, we talked about the various mental health stigmas that you know surround mental health care, especially in the military. We talked about. You know how we experience those stigmas ourselves and kind of disprove them and broke down those barriers so that we could get access to mental health care. Um, You shared several stories of adversity, and you've also shared how you triumph from them and are a better person today because of it. So thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and being vulnerable with us. I know that your story is going to help at least one person.
1: Thank you for so, doing this. I think this is an incredible resource. and I wish that I had had something like this years ago, and I'm so happy it exists now because people do need it 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 is absolutely uh gonna be very valuable to a lot of people. and I think it's incredible that you've started this. i'm I'm so happy to be a part of it, and I just think it's it's amazing. and thank you for creating this.
0: Of course. I am all about support, mental health, advocating or our sailors and service members. Yeah, just... And, and if you want to get a hold of me or you want to get a hold of Ariana or any of our other guests that are on the show, you can contact us via the email address, seedsoftriumph.podcast at gmail.com. And just remember, as we uh, close out this episode, that we're all in this together. And like Ariana said, just be fearless. Don't be scared. Ask for help.
1: Absolutely. You will be better because of it. It can only help you, it will not hurt you. Absolutely.
0: Thank you to our listeners for listening to the Seeds of Triumph podcast. And as always, a special thanks to our guest for sharing her experience and advice. If you are struggling with your mental health and need additional resources, please view the link listed in our episode description. Additionally, the Seeds of Triumph podcast can be contacted via email at seedsoftriumph.podcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Until next time, thanks again for listening. The views expressed by the speaker and all guests are not those of the Department of Defense, United States Navy, or any other government agency. They are strictly those of the speakers who do not speak for any other organization or entity. The speakers are not mental health professionals and do not intend any of the content of this podcast as mental health advice. If you need professional
1: mental health advice, please seek out your closest military or civilian mental health providers immediately.